this is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I have Tal from Orbs with us today. Tal has an amazing background as an engineer, spent time at Wix and also at Kin, was in the military in Israel, and so much technology has come out of Israel and people that have been in the military. They're highly trained and they're incredibly sophisticated. And so this is a great conversation about what Orbs is doing. They're trying to take a hybrid approach where they have virtual chains and they're using a, a proof of stake methodology that hopefully enterprises will start to actually use. They have been having some, some success with enterprises and that's a great thing, especially with some of the news that has come out with like Facebook and JP Morgan. And so more and more enterprises that are using blockchains, um, especially more public blockchains, you know, private blockchains are great. But if they can start leveraging public blockchains, I think that's uh, something that we all would like to see more of. Um, and so this is a great conversation about how Orbs is doing that, the methodologies and the procedures that they're doing. Remember, nothing on base layer is an investment advice. So please do your own research. On the flip side, you're going to hear the conversation with Tal and looking forward to talking to you all again soon. Take care. This is Base Layer, brought to you by Orca. I am your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. We have Tal from Orbs with us today. Orbs is a project out in Israel, and uh, if anyone has been following the technology coming out of Israel, they realize that the majority of the most highly sophisticated security people are, are in Israel. Um, and so I can't wait to learn about what you guys have been building over there. So Tal, if you could maybe just give us a quick intro into Orbs, what you are doing there, what it does. And then we have lots of questions to unpack about the more uh, intricate details about that. Okay, great. Uh, so first of all, nice to meet you. Um, uh, Orbs in a sentence uh, is a public blockchain uh, aimed for, I would say, the real world for mainstream businesses. Uh, I think the mainstream business world, the, the tech world, is the hardest one to crack. If you ask them today what benefit do they see in the public blockchain, uh, they wouldn't know how to answer. And we're trying to answer that for them uh, and find the value in this technology for them. That's good. That was a nice and concise answer. <laughs> and so I always, on the show, I like to ask people, so I see that you, uh, you co-founded a startup that was effectively acquired by Wix. Um, and you've had a lot of other different uh, positions. You were uh, head of engineering in Kin by Kick, um, and you also were uh, you went to the Technion, which is basically uh, the equivalent of Stanford here in the United States over in Israel, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then, of course, uh, as I say, of course, because so many amazing technologists that have come out of Israel have also spent time in your military. You were also a veteran of the elite section of the IDF. And so thank you for your service, obviously. Um, and so, you know, I always like to ask the question, not necessarily when Bitcoin, but why? Why? And I know that you guys are not necessarily building on Bitcoin blockchain, but most of the people came into this world, you know, around 2011, 2012, give or take. And it was because they found Bitcoin. And I don't necessarily like the origin story per se, but I like to know what about it? 
what about the promise of the underlying technology really kind of inspired you to move into this space and help build a company like Orbs? Awesome question. Um, so first of all, it, as you can see in my background, I'm a tech guy. I work in the tech industry uh, all my life. I worked in companies like Wix. Um, and, and I see, you know, what happened in the internet in the last 10 years. Uh, and you see these powerhouses kind of like rising, uh, for example, Apple and the App Store as a mobile developer. Like I see the centralization there. Uh, you can see giants like Uber connecting uh, drivers to passengers. You can see Google with Google Ads connecting publishers to advertisers. And these are very strong positions of power. And it's always worrying, like, do, will they have all the power forever? Um, like, will this power lead to abuse? Uh, and then you hear about Bitcoin and you hear about decentralization. And it's an inspiring story, the, the ideals of it. Uh, we can make the world better. We can make the, the world a fairer place uh, with more competition. And these ideas resonated with me because I come from startups, uh, you know, as, as, as the small companies, you know, growing uh, for them to find their place in a world um, that is controlled by giants is difficult. Right. Yeah, we've talked a lot on the show about centralization and about, obviously, if you use Google or if you use Facebook, if you use Instagram, that, yes, they're free, but effectively they're mining your digital self and then they own you and then they have petabytes and petabytes of data, which they're then harnessing to obviously make lots of money. And the the end user, you and I, are not really incentivized there. Um and so getting to the crux of Orbs, I want to hear more about it. We've got lots of questions to kind of delve into the project, but it sounds like you guys are also working with a lot of industries and trying to make it more user-friendly and more applicable to businesses. So talk to us about how that's happening. What's the kind of, give us the 101 on Orbs. What does it do and how are you guys talking to lots of businesses? Because for our audience, which are family offices and high net worth individuals, that narrative is really interesting. They don't necessarily, they don't get that they, there is this narrative out there and there are projects that are working with big businesses and obviously yours, you know, are, are one of them. So talk to us about, you know, what the underlying technology and, and what you guys are doing at Orbs and how you're working with big, big uh, with big business. Okay. Um, so we talked about decentralization and how this idea that we can, you know, kind of like cut the middleman. Uh, if you ask me what like what was the main idea of Bitcoin was to cut the banks out of the equation. Uh, so in the beginning, that was what I tried to do. Uh, when when we first started Orbs, it was all about full decentralization of apps. And we found businesses, it was it, it was at the height of the ICO hype, and these real businesses trying to build decentralized apps. And we provided the infrastructure and tried to build it with them. Uh, and we've done that for about two years. Um, and what I can tell you after this period of time that this method doesn't work. And that is interesting because I think the entire market is kind of getting to this realization. You know, we don't see these decentralized apps succeeding. Um, and it's not only because of funding and the market and stuff like that. Uh, these, these promises for products that can work, uh, we don't see them maturing into actually working products. And that is very interesting. Uh, so let's take Uber, for example. Uh, I googled and I saw at least five projects trying to do a decentralized Uber in the last two years. Uh, now, do you see a decentralized Uber succeeding? Uh, and I don't. Uh, so I think kind of the direction is, is a bit problematic in this regard. Um, and if, if I ask myself why aren't these uh, projects maturing to working products, uh, the answer is that it turns out that you need the middleman. 
You know, the idea was let's cut Uber out of the equation. Let's let passengers find drivers in a decentralized way in a peer-to-peer economy. But in order for this business to succeed, it needs somebody like Uber to lead it. And I think that is a, a problem or a question that the industry has not been able to answer yet. How do we go around that? Like, does that mean that we have to wait for the DAP revolution and it will take 10 or 10 years, 20 years, and we just wait and public blockchain is meaningless? Or can we find value that we can give Uber or other mainstream businesses in this technology? And that is what I'm personally trying to do in this space. Uh, and I think we can. I think we have, we can explain the value. Um, and, and the idea is that you you basically change a little bit the definition of what you're trying to achieve. Uh, so, so what is Orbs? Orbs is a platform, it's a public blockchain that lets you build apps uh, that can provide different guarantees to users. Uh, so one guarantee could be auditability, uh, one guarantee can be forkability. You can fork away with all of your data whenever you want. Uh, another guarantee is governance. You know how the app is governed, who makes the decision, and you can participate as well. Uh, and basically what we're saying is, Businesses, uh, instead of you know cutting out the middlemen, we want the middlemen to incorporate blockchain. And if you ask me, who will be the biggest adopters of blockchain in the next five years? It's going to be these businesses. And why? Because it's going to make them more competitive. Uh, and that is a pretty hard pitch. Because why would letting uh, go of some control would make a business such as Uber more competitive? Uh, right. And that's yeah, and that is a difficult question. Um, so my best explanation to this is let's take a look at what happened at mobile. Uh, you know, as you've seen in my background, I've been a mobile developer for many years. Um, and you know, it started by iOS, Apple, and they kind of like figured out the product and this brought them complete domination of the mobile field. And you saw companies like uh, Google and Microsoft desperately trying to go in. And what did Google do that was so successful in competing in this already very, you know, crowded and saturated space? What they did is they gave better guarantees to their ecosystem. They made the entire project or most of it open source. And this, you know, this guarantee of if you want to add a feature, you can do it by yourself, helped companies like Samsung to adopt it. And it let them joined the ecosystem and it made this more open ecosystem a better alternative to Apple's closed garden. And you can see this strategy paying off. Uh, what did Google uh, give up here? They gave up the ability to sell licenses for their operating system. But what did they gain? They gained presence in the pockets of over a quarter of the population of Earth. So by giving up some control over several things, you can make yourself much more attractive. And I think this is the message we're trying to, to say right now. These businesses give up some of the control, make give better guarantees to your partners and users, and make your ecosystems more attractive and more competitive this way. And if you won't do it, your competitor will, and they will beat you. Right. So in terms of working with businesses, especially you brought up Uber. So a lot of what we've seen recently has been this reemergence of the 2015 narrative of private blockchains. Now, big businesses have trade secrets. They have things that they don't necessarily want on a proverbial public blockchain. How do you actually bridge that gap? Uh, so first of all, you know, we need to see, we need to define what is the value in blockchain because just doing blockchain for the sake of saying you're doing blockchain, is, I think is problematic. 
Uh, and many people, you know, projects, private projects like Hyperledger, they define blockchain as the ability to collaborate. Uh, and if you ask me, we had the ability to collaborate either before, before blockchain. I don't think this is the innovation. Uh, in my eyes, the big innovation in blockchain is the public aspect. That is the permissionlessness. It's the ability to create incentive models in a global scale based on token economies that can take entire ecosystems and bring them towards a shared goal. Uh, kind of like what Bitcoin did with security. And if you don't have a token, token ecosystem and if you don't use this permissionlessness, you're missing out. And, and that is the, the core innovation. And the problem in my eyes with private blockchain is it doesn't make use of that asset. Uh, private blockchains cannot use the public aspect. So you're right in a sense um, that if businesses, all they do is try to approach private blockchain and say, maybe we'll do something public in the future, I think they're missing out. I don't think that is the direction at all uh, to win their hearts. What you need to do is find the use cases that, that make use of the public aspects of, of blockchain. If, and, and these are difficult to figure out. Um, so I wouldn't say Uber go use private blockchain in the meantime. That would be in my eyes meaningless. They could have done it with databases before blockchain was invented. What I would try to do is figure out where the public aspects can make their businesses better. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll try to give you an example because this is, you know, a difficult concept to see. Uh, and it's and it's difficult for a reason. You know, it's a disruptive technology. It's very hard to predict the killer use case that we'll see in 10 years. You know, if 30 years ago I told you about the Internet and, you know, we wouldn't have been able to guess that the killer use case is going to be Netflix. Uh, you know, Netflix is 40 percent of the Internet. It wasn't a pain 30 years ago. Uh, so what we're trying to do is predict the future. Uh, so let me try to give you an example uh, of how the public aspects can make all the difference. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll give you an example I just talked to a colleague about, and I'll use eBay uh, as an example. Uh, so eBay, as you know, uh, is, is a middleman, such as Uber. Uh, so what they do is they connect buyers to sellers, and they, they take a huge cut out of the whole thing, uh, and they run the platform. And what I'm saying is that public blockchain can bring benefit to them. And I'll show you how. Uh, so one of the aspects in eBay, for example, is the bidding mechanism. You know, you can uh, you can bid over an item and the highest bid wins. Now, here we have a problem. Why? Because how can you know that the highest bid won? You know, it, it's a closed system. You basically have to trust eBay uh, to make, you know, to make this algorithm, the highest bid wins, uh, fair. Uh, and eBay on their side want to make it fair. So they're not trying to manipulate it. So what I'm telling eBay, for example, um, hey, let's take this algorithm and let's run it on blockchain. And it's not difficult. It may be like 2% of your platform, but let's take this 2%, run it on a public blockchain that anyone could audit, anyone could see that the bidding uh, algorithm was fair and indeed the highest bid won. And by doing that, you would give a greater degree of trust to your partners and users, to your sellers. It would make you more competitive because if I had uh, a marketplace like eBay that would not give me, you know, the transparency to the bidding process, and I had another marketplace that was competing with it, and they would, I would go to that other marketplace. Now, does it cause a problem for them to give this data? No. The value eBay gains is not from manipulating bids. They gain the value from attracting buyers and sellers. Exposing this algorithm would make them more attractive. So it makes perfect sense to take this little part and run it on blockchain. 
Now, can this be run on a private blockchain? No, it wouldn't make any sense. The whole idea right. is for somebody to be able to audit this and see that it makes that it works. So instead of you know trying to find the areas where private blockchain makes sense, I would say no. Let's find the use cases where public blockchain makes sense to, to these businesses. Interesting. Yeah, I would say that you know for many for the last few years I've been as I said before many times on the show that I I consider myself a decentralist. Once you kind of figure out the difference between centralized and decentralized systems, and the fallacies and the issues with centralized systems you realize that the the juice is not worth the squeeze. Um, and so, you know, it's an interesting take, you know, because I've, over the last few months, I've kind of stepped back and with JP Morgan coin and Facebook coin and things of that nature, I've said, okay, well, maybe it's not bad if they're playing with it. But I hear your point that, you know, effectively, I know that at the end of the day, it would be better for them to lever, you know, a public blockchain infrastructure instead. Um, and so that's a narrative and a discussion we'll have to continue having over the next you know few years, unfortunately. But you know, moving to the value proposition of orbs, um, you know, getting into the kind of the top layer, I see that you guys talk about virtual chains, and there's this notion that in crypto, especially within blockchain, that the Bitcoin blockchain, Ethereum, and some of the other protocols are pretty slow, and that's because there's a lot of congestion. And so the importance of virtualization uh, to orbs, can you kind of lay out in a very kind of simplistic format what you guys have done there in terms of creating this virtual uh, kind of chain? And what is, any, what is the importance of that uh, to the growth of uh, your project? Okay, so uh, in, our, uh, in our eyes, uh, virtualization is a critical concept in blockchain. And I, I expected actually to see it more, and I don't. Um, and what is the concept of virtualization? It's not new. Uh, the world invented it in virtual uh, lands, virtual networks, virtual machines on Amazon. And the idea is to take a shared uh, infrastructure and give isolation on top of it. And this illusion of isolation pretty much means that every app would be able to run on this blockchain and feel like it has its own blockchain. But actually, everything would use a shared node infrastructure. Um, so why would you need that? Uh, and, and the demand for this came to me as I was working with real apps running on blockchain. And the problem is that when you run on shared infrastructure, the moment a different app becomes popular, uh, you get less bandwidth, you get less throughput, and you want to guarantee throughput. You know, it doesn't make sense uh, for an app that runs in production uh, that actually has to serve users to say, hey, guys, look, the fact that CryptoKitties became immensely popular in the last week means that you can't use my system. Is, that, this, is this the Infura conversation? Is this because everything was built on Infura and because Infura is using AWS? Is that kind of? No, I don't think that is related. I think that is, you know, let's let's take it from the traditional world, for example, like web hosting. You know that when you buy web hosting, you can buy a shared host and that is a bit cheaper for your website, but mm -hmm. nobody guarantees the throughput of how many people can view your website. It all depends on the load. But if you get your own virtual uh, machine to host your website, then it would be guaranteed and it would be a little bit more expensive. Uh, so I think this is the same idea. Uh, basically, what we're trying to do is isolate apps. Um, if you think about it, most apps running on blockchain, um, what do they have more? Do they have interactions across apps or do they have interactions inside the app? Mm -hmm. uh, and I would say that in most cases, it's 95% interactions inside the app 
and right. only 5% across apps. And when this is the case, don't optimize for the shared environment that lets apps communicate. For example, like on Ethereum, it's very easy to talk across uh, smart contracts. Don't optimize for that case. Optimize for the case that an app only needs to talk to itself and make the cross app more expensive. And this is exactly what we're trying to do. So what we're doing is we're giving each, each app can launch on its own virtual chain. Uh, it would have its own consensus um, moving uh, forward in its own rate. It would have its own blocks. Um, the same validators would approve all of these virtual chains, meaning it's all the same shared node infrastructure. It's still decentralized perfectly, but the idea is that the apps move forward in parallel. So imagine that you would have, you have 10 virtual chains, you have 10 chains in parallel moving forward. And this gives you a few amazing benefits. Uh, one benefit, for example, is unlimited uh, scaling. Why? Because if you want to add more virtual chains, you can just add more compute power. It's horizontally scalable. So in a sense, if you add more apps to the game, it doesn't make the system slower. And you can say the same for almost any other public blockchain out there. You know, if you add more apps to them, it will make uh, the blockchain slower for other apps. That's just the fact of life. Uh, so it, it solves this problem. Another big problem that it solves is autonomy of government of governance. Um, uh, you all, you know, everybody's familiar with the DAO bug that we had an app uh, that had a bug in it. And, you know, it was so colossal, you know, the problem that was there that we wanted to take the entire blockchain back, you know, to undo the bug. Uh, but it, it had effect on other apps. And, you know, this caused a huge controversy in Ethereum, you know, the split between Ethereum Classic and, and, and Ethereum existing uh, because, you know, they wanted to take back history. Now, imagine that you could do that, but you would not affect the history of other apps. Uh, so if you had a colossal bug and the entire community of this app would agree to take history back in this app specifically, you could make this governance decision without affecting other apps. That would be amazing because, you know, as, as somebody building an app on top of Ethereum, the thought that somebody could take my app's history back because of an unrelated bug is insane. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, so this isolation, I think, is critical. And I think we're going to see all public blockchains offering this capability in one form or another. So we've seen a few protocols obviously have a problem with governance. Um, EOS was obviously one of those. And so are you trying to figure out a way to kind of, there's human behavior, which obviously is not standardized. So are you trying to come up with a way that kind of removes that behavioral patterns and those behavioral issues that can affect these systems? Yeah. Uh, so I think governance is one of the huge, huge, huge um, challenges we have to, to figure out in blockchain. And I don't see it as a weakness of blockchain, but as a strength, because no other system in the world has governance. And in blockchain, we can finally code governance. So I think this is an amazing feature. Uh, we just need to figure out how to make use of it. Uh, and governance is critical all across, because even, you know, take the most basic thing, like a smart contract. You know, it's a big deal that smart contracts are immutable. But who can write immutable code that doesn't have bugs in it? You know, if you would tell a company, a real business, you could only write your code once, uh, they would look at you and think that you're insane. You know, like, like a company like Uber changes its code like dozens of times a day. <laughs> you can't tell right. them to write once. People make mistakes. And then you ask yourself, 
how can you, you know, how can we go around that? How can we let people upgrade smart contracts? Uh, and that is, I think, a, a critical uh, question the industry has to answer. And in my eyes, the answer is governance. Uh, so how would you do that? Basically, uh, you would let every app, you would force every app to declare its own governance model. Uh, let's say I have a token-based app. Um, and my token-based app, I can say that the governance model is a proof-of-stake, uh, a stake-based vote uh, from all holders of the token. And if the token holders uh, agree to upgrade a contract, they could do so. Um, and, and I think that makes sense, and it's fair. Uh, and if, and you, we can code these governance models. We can make them available as libraries, so they're very easy to incorporate. And here, by making governance uh, easily um, accessible for apps, they could offer ways to upgrade themselves in a purely decentralized and fair way. Um, so this is where I see the industry heading. Uh, a big part of it is making the isolation between apps because the big problem with consensus is that consensus across parties that are not aligned with each other's interests is very difficult. Right. Uh, and when different apps that have different uh, desires and different interests need to make a governance decision together, they're not going to be able to do so. And I think these are the problems that we're seeing in EOS. Um, if, if you adopt the virtual chain concept and you say that most of the governance decisions that you're making inside your app are only will only affect your app, then who cares about what other apps think on the matter? It's not related to them. Take your app's community and in a decentralized way across people who have the same interests in mind, make a governance decision, you would be able to reach consensus for these decisions much more easily. Uh, so I think this is, uh, you know, the best way to approach this. And so to get deeper into the way that you've set up the systems, so you have guardians, validators, and delegators. By the way, that sounds like a great bowling team anyway. Um, and so going into what that means, um, you know, for a lot of the people that don't understand the infrastructure within these protocols to get things actually done Talk to us a little bit about what each one of those does um, as it relates to their specific role. Okay. Uh, so I think the easiest one to understand, that is, that is the easiest one to figure out, is validators. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, the biggest problem in blockchain is choosing who's going to run the protocol. Um, and for example, in EOS, you have uh, 20 uh, something validators and some others waiting in line to jump in and they are in fact the main ones running the protocol and making and signing transactions and doing everything. Uh, so you can't just take anyone, you know, it has to be permissionless. Uh, so the entire incentive model is basically geared towards choosing these validators. Uh, so if I had to categorize a validator, they would be a professional entity that knows how to run a node. And to run a node, you have to have a good uptime, you have to upgrade it uh, fast. Uh, you have to uh, make sure it's running in the correct throughput. Um, you have to make sure it's secure. So it's a very professional role. Um, uh, so these are the easiest ones to understand. Um, now, when you have these validators, you need someone to elect them. Um, and it has to be based on stake. We've seen that proof of stake is probably, you know, the most scalable model out there. Uh, for modern blockchains. Uh, everybody uses it today. And basically, we use stake to choose which validators are chosen. Uh, 
Um, and that is how every single blockchain out there works. This is how Tezos works, EOS works. This is how everybody works. Um, so the question is, uh, we need to have people voting. Uh, and when you look at the voters who use their stake to choose the validators in a permissionless way, um, let's categorize the ideal voter. Uh, in a sense, I want to have as many, as much stake as possible participating in this vote because the majority of stake is honest. And if the majority of stake would participate, it would make them, the network more resilient uh, to attacks. Uh, so we want as much stake as, as possible to participate on one hand. On the other hand, we want the vote that they make to be intelligent. And this, I think, is a huge problem we see in many proof-of-stake models. Why? Because, you know, the vote in many cases is practically random. You know, if I could tell you that let's make every stakeholder vote, but they would vote randomly for a validator, would this bring value to the network? Would this make the network more secure? And the answer is, of course not. You know, you can't just vote randomly. Um, or if would you vote for the person giving you the most, the biggest cut out of something, the biggest reward? Also, that would not benefit the network. Um, so if we try to categorize the ideal voter, the, it would be somebody who actually takes the time to make an intelligent vote, to do due diligence, to go over the validators and measure them, see that they indeed run the protocol, audit them, see that they follow everything that they should, check their uptime. And this is a difficult position because these votes have to be frequent because we have to eliminate validators that are problematic quickly for the network to be secure. So this ideal voter would have to be super engaged. And this goes in direct conflict to the fact that the majority of stake, you know, the silent majority is not super engaged. Mm -hmm. So the way we, we worked around that is by separating into two, um, two kind of identities, two, two categories. So the first one is a guardian. A guardian is what we call the ideal voter. They would take the time to go every day and see which validators work. Which valid and audit them, run audit nodes. And this is a hard, hard job to do. So these guardians would essentially do the due diligence on validators and do the and make the intelligence vote. The, the problem is that you have a, a pretty small amount of users who are so engaged that they would go all to all this trouble. Uh, so what, what happens to the rest? So we call the rest delegators. What do delegators need to do? Just participate. Every participation counts. And we are aware that the silent majority, you know, they won't do all the heavy lifting of the due diligence. So basically, we're telling them, look, guys, do just one thing. Choose a guardian to vote on your behalf. Um, and you would get a reward for that. That would be your incentive to do so. So basically, the guardians would have stake that is uh, designated to them. They would be the representatives of stake in a sense. This would, you could look at this as kind of as DPOS. Mm -hmm. and, and these guardians would make the intelligent votes and choose the validators. Um, so that's kind of how it works. Uh, right. And, 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 I think so, and so digging into that a little bit more. So the incentive models probably are different between the guardians, the validators, and the delegators, correct? Of course. Uh, com completely different. Uh, for example, the, the, let, let's see how much work a guardian is doing relative to how much work a, val uh, a delegator is doing. Because we said that the guardians do the heavy lifting of due diligence, so naturally their rewards would be larger. Why? Because we want to incentivize every delegator to become a guardian. You know, do the heavy lifting, do the auditing, do the due diligence, although it's difficult. 
Um, so the rewards would be larger, but we, we still want to have rewards to delegators. Why? Uh, first of all, to incentivize them to participate. Uh, second of all, let's say that they chose a guardian and their guardian becomes inactive and stopped voting on their behalf. We want them to replace them. So a delegator would only get a reward if their guardian voted on their behalf. So if their guardian failed to vote and did not do their due diligence, the delegator would stop getting a reward. Uh, so what we would expect the delegator to do when they see that is say, oh, okay, let's choose a different guardian that would vote on my behalf and they would be better. Um, so that's on the side of the guardians and delegators. Uh, also, guardians would get a reward proportional to the entire stake that they represent. What would this do is incentivize the guardians to be community leaders. They would go and seek out the delegators, the silent majority. They would educate them about the project. They would teach them that they would need to participate, that their participation is important uh, for the network. And to do that, you need to reward them uh, in proportion to how much stake they could kind of like uh, bring to their cause. Uh, so we reward uh, guardians in proportion to how many delegators vote for them. Uh, for validators, the story is different. You want to reward validators for running the protocol correctly, uh, not for uh, how popular they have been. Um, so, for example, we want validators uh, at one point to, to put stake on the line that, that proves that they are good actors. Um, so this stake that they would put on the line, their reward would be proportional to that. But what mm -hmm. this stake does is it makes sure that they're honest. Uh, so you could see that every kind of crowd here has its own delicate incentives model that incentivizes the behaviors that we want from them. Now, are the incentive models, are they the orbs token or are they specific to the project that they are working on? No, no, no. All the incentives are with the orbs token. Uh, one of the, the orbs token has pretty much two uses. Uh, one use is the, the utility of actually paying for running smart contracts, paying for virtual chains. So an app developer would uh, basically rent out a virtual chain uh, or pay validators for the service of operating their virtual chain, and they would pay them with orbs tokens. Uh, so that is one use. But the second use is to kind of fuel the entire incentive models, the reward models to make validators, uh, guardians and delegators participate. Uh, so the delegators use orbs token in order to delegate, in order to stake guardians. The guardians use the orbs tokens uh, as a stake-based vote to vote mm -hmm. validators. Uh, so it's the use for the staking and the use for the utility. And so getting into, we, we you already kind of started highlighting the, the discussion about stake. And so delegated proof of stake has been a system out there. You are using something called randomized proof of stake. Um, mentioning that it's secure and fast and that you know, small random committees are chosen out of a large validator set for each round of consensus. So my question is, at the state where we are right now and the maturation of this entire universe that we call crypto, what, you know, what denotes a large validator set today? Okay, uh, so that's actually, actually a very good question. And I would say um, that the number of validators would have to be proportional to the number of meaningful apps running on the platform. Uh, so they would go uh, to get, they would grow together. Um, and how many app, meaningful apps? And when I say meaningful app is the app that has traffic, that has transaction throughput, that it's really active. Um, 
So if you look at the market today and you see how many meaningful apps are running today in blockchain, I think both of us would agree that the number is very low. <laughs> uh, so right now, I would say that the number of validators that you actually need to use is the bare minimum. Uh, because you don't have that many meaningful apps running. Uh, and the bare minimum is pretty much what EOS is doing. Uh, it's around 21, 22. Um, why? Because you can, if you do any less than that, then it's not really decentralized. Um, so I would say use these numbers until you have meaningful apps running. And as you have meaningful apps running, grow this number slowly. And here is where our posts will shine. Uh, because, you know, and I hope... I wish EOS the best, and I hope I think it's a great platform. Uh, and when there are lots of meaningful apps running on top of EOS, because the world will eventually understand that blockchain is good, um, then the, the twenty the twenty something nodes are not enough. Uh, it's not decentralized enough. Right. Um, and I think ARPOS can solve this. Uh, so basically, you would have a larger set, but on every consensus round, you would only have twenty something participating, and this is where the speed would come from. Yeah, and I think if I know my, if I've seen my data correctly, I think EOS is running about 147 kind of, I guess you could call apps or application or apps right now on their platform. These things are from like trading to, you know, things like uh, socialization platforms and things of that nature. But to your point uh, about use uh, utilization, uh, we're not seeing a lot of usage out of there so far. So to your point, you know, the amount of validators to the amount of usage, I understand. Um, getting into interoperability, this has been something that, you know, has been very interesting to me over the last few months and um, probably last year. And we're actually going to have Zaki from Cosmos on on uh, the next few weeks to talk more about interoperability and what they're doing there. Um, you know, the way that you guys talk about it is that the smart contracts provide seamless cross-chain access to Ethereum state under consensus. And so I'm curious, um, it sounds like it's focused on Ethereum. We are seeing other protocols, and in, in, we've talked about the future, if we think about 5, 10, 15 years out. Do we do we see a world, do we see systems that are interoperable with other protocols, and how do you guys work towards that? Uh, so first of all, I think interoperability is a very valid uh, domain. And, and, and people need to work there and, 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 and improve. But if you ask me, it's a bit premature to deal with this because it's not clear to the mainstream market that you need one blockchain, let alone 10 that work together. Uh, so uh, what I would recommend is that we focus how to make blockchain usable for businesses first. Uh, and it starts with you know one blockchain. And then when you have dozens of businesses each using their own blockchain or different blockchain project, then we can kind of like attack the problem of making it all uh, talk to each other and collaborate. Uh, so before we figure out the first challenge, I wouldn't go into the second. Having said that, um, there are a few blockchain ecosystems today that are extremely successful and Ethereum is one of them. And you see many projects, you know, very successfully raising funds on Ethereum. Ethereum has a beautiful ecosystem and it ha and, and I love, you know, the community there a lot. And you see many projects successfully, uh, you know, creating ERC tokens and, and then they want people to use their apps. And, and, it's, and it's difficult to do on the current Ethereum state. And when, and when they're faced in this, uh, you know, position today, basically you tell them, go migrate to EOS. Like that would be a solution. And I don't think it's, a, it's the best solution. Uh, I would say let's not replace, you know, a successful blockchain like Ethereum and throw it away. 
uh, when we can build on top of it. Uh, so that is kind of like our approach. Uh, so let's say that you have a successful project that raised money uh, on Ethereum and you have many token holders that are actually, you know, not very interested in the utility of it. They just want to hold the tokens and kind of like, you know, wait and invest or trade. So for them, Ethereum is a great place, you know, keep them there. You know, it's connected to every exchange. It has all the best wallets already existing. Uh, so for trading purposes, you don't need something better than Ethereum. Ethereum works. Uh, where does Ethereum work less uh, efficiently is where you start talking about utility, about speeds, about throughput and scalability and the autonomy of governance and all of these parts. Uh, and this is where Orbs shines. Uh, so our interoperability with Ethereum lets you take uh, basically tokens that are already on Ethereum and we don't tell you like throw Ethereum away. You can leave them there. You can use autonomous uh, swap uh, or we call this autonomous bridge today uh, and, and, and kind of move them to run on top of orbs. And when you, they, you finish moving on top of orbs, you want to trade them in the exchange. You can bring them back through the bridge, back to Ethereum mm -hmm. and, and then use Ethereum for the trade. Because I don't think that uh, orbs is super competitive on trade. You know, orbs is not connected to a zillion different exchanges. Um, right. And Ethereum is. Uh, so I think the idea is to let every blockchain do what it does best. But if you tell me let's connect to everybody today, I'm telling you it's premature. Right. And there are definitely platforms that are starting to facilitate those things like Uniswap and others out there. So that's an interesting thing to discuss in the future. Um, last thing I want to unpack before we get into our, our, our what we call signal to noise, where we bring up maybe two or three different news items to kind of get your hot take if they are signal or noise in terms of the growth of the ecosystem. So the last thing I saw that you guys had written and I thought it was super interesting was, and I quote, we believe that blockchain technology will be an important milestone in the evolution of the banking system and indeed could be transformative to their business. And so it's clear to us that banks will have to continuously adapt in order to keep up with competition. So over the last, say, eight or some odd months, we've seen this narrative of open finance or DeFi. And so I'm curious, you know, you guys wrote that what your feeling is about those things that are happening with things like Dharma, Compound, BlockFi, et cetera. Some of those projects out there that are changing the, the way that banking um, is actually starting to look. And actually, if you think about it, you know, we ourselves, you and I and others out there that are listening um, effectively in the, in the near term future could be our own banks. And so I'm curious, you know, in terms of the transformation to their business, what do you guys think about the transformation to the banking business that's happening within crypto and blockchain? Um, I think I think it is important, but I think we need to be careful because the initial message, you know, of Bitcoin in the early days was about, you know, kind of taking power away from the banking system. Mm -hmm. and making kind of an unstoppable currency that the governments can can break and can't you know influence and i think while i see value in this message it is still i don't want to say a small market but a small market today uh, if you want to bring about change you have to do it from within the system uh, you cannot say let's tear the system uh, apart and build a new system instead you could you know just to get the initial kind of like ball rolling it's great to bring people on board but when you want to change the world you have to do it from the inside uh, so in my eyes you know, the biggest revolutions happening today in blockchain is from within the banking system. Um, so I think that banks are beginning to understand that if they have, if they 
if they would not join this uh, kind of like wave that is starting to happen, they would miss out. Uh, and it kind of re- connects to my earlier statements about how the mainstream businesses, these middlemen that we've previously tried to cut out, how they would need to bring to give better guarantees to their users or partners. And this is exactly what I think should happen. You know, banks will keep running the banking system in the foreseeable future. But I want to see them give better guarantees to their users and partners. They would have to let go of some of the power. They would have to increase transparency. Um, and, and that would make them more competitive. Um, so I'm very excited about projects like stable coins, for example, coming out of the banking system. I see a lot of value in those. Uh, I, I see how those can, you know, can work with regulations more smoothly. You know, we, we cannot ignore regulation. Uh, at the end of the day, the fact that the regulators would not allow tokens to be used everywhere is holding the industry back. Uh, and, and these regulators need to learn how to, you know, handle this technology. And, 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 and it's difficult to learn, you know, about like this huge disruption uh, from something that you can't control. And through the banking system, they can control it. Uh, and you mentioned Facebook with the Facebook coin, and I don't know a lot about it. I know like they don't publish a lot of public information, but if you ask me what do I envision, envision about it, like what do I hope that they're doing is I hoping, I'm hoping that they're doing the original PayPal vision. You know, the original vision of PayPal was to make payments uh, accessible to anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happened? PayPal became a bank. <laughs> and right. PayPal, like you want to use PayPal today, it's very difficult. You have different APIs for PayPal in every domain, in every geography, and you can't use PayPal. Like it, it doesn't do the original vision. And I think Facebook would be able to do so. Like they would be able with a stable coin, I hope that their coin is stable, uh, to kind of facilitate uh, payments across the world. And I think it's a huge change. And, and I think it's a big step forward. And mm-hmm. I think they have realized that for them to be able to do that, they would have to lead it. And I think that makes sense. You can't lead a big change without a big company leading it. Uh, but it, they would have to give very strong guarantees on how it works. And I think they, th- their choice to run it on top of blockchain uh, is is a brave step forward because it right. would be auditable. And I think it's good. And I think the big test is, would they let external validators join in? And I don't know if they have been vocal about that, but I hope that the answer is yes. And if indeed external validators would be able to participate in their protocol, then I think it's a huge win for the industry. I would tend to agree with you on that because in the face of things that they've had to deal with over the last five to six years with Cambridge Analytica and others, I think it would be a nice thing to see more of a outside source doing the validation. So I agree with you on that. Now getting to signal to noise, as I said, um, two or three stories out there that uh, could be either defined as signal and or noise. No gotchas here. This is pretty simple. And it's a quick, you know, signal or noise. You can opine on a little bit. And uh, some interesting things, especially since you guys are working with companies and enterprises out there. So Rakuten um, apparently has now opened a new crypto exchange to customers. Um, they have started accepting account registrations for its new cryptocurrency exchange, Rakuten Wallet. Um, and they've said that uh, they believe uh, back in August, they said this, the role of cryptocurrency-based payments in e-commerce on th- offline retail and peer-to-peer payments will grow in the future. So with Rakuten coming into the air with an exchange, do you think that's signal or noise? Um, I would say... 
Well, I don't want to insult anyone. <laughs> but, but, but I would say like the interesting signal here is not that we have another uh, cryptocurrency exchange uh, coming in because I think that is noise. Uh, we don't need another one. Uh, I think the signal here is that more traditional businesses uh, are looking at this technology seriously. I think that is a good signal. Uh, but the fact that, that this is what they're doing is noise. Like I would want to see more meaningful projects. And and what I'm I, what I don't like seeing is, you know, just a copy paste of successful things that other people are doing uh, that we don't need more of. Like I don't right. think we have uh, like that. The problem is we don't have enough cryptocurrency exchanges, for example. I think we have enough. So I would urge them to find something bigger to do uh, and, you know, give guarantees to your users on, on, on some aspect of payments. That would make sense. I would want to see right. that. So we also talked a lot about smart contracts. And so the second story that came out recently, Accenture and an Italian insurance company, uh, Generali, have launched a blockchain solution that brings employee benefits into the digital age. So the project uh, apparently uh, is streamlining the Generali's employment benefits network offerings, including insurance, coverage for life, disability, accident, healthcare. And so they say through smart contracts and automated reconciliation, the system allows participants in the reinsurance process to share accurate data and reduce processing errors. So with that, do you think something of that nature is signal or noise? Who? Another complicated one. Uh, I think it's great. Uh, I think it's signal in a sense uh, that they are doing, unlike the cryptocurrency exchange from, from beforehand, they're doing something right. Like they're trying to take their domain and they're trying to make their domain better by giving stronger guarantees. And this is exactly the message that I believe in. My problem with this story that I would say noise because of uh, is that they're trying to do too much. Um, you don't go from a zero to 60 in a second. You don't take your entire business domain and you run it on blockchain overnight by saying smart contracts. You wouldn't be able to take employee benefits and insurance. These are huge fields. And just by magically running them on top of smart contracts, change the entire industry. It doesn't work this way. What I would want them to do instead is to take 5% of their business and run that on blockchain. That I would believe. Good answer. Um, and so rounding up the show, what we also like to do with our guests is get a little more uh, into their say brain because there are two inputs there are things that we read and there are things that we listen to in terms of podcasts in terms of music but if you could anything that you've read over the course of the last few months or something maybe you've read recently that really resonates with you that either in your work uh or kind of personally that really touched you that you think would be really interesting for the listeners to you know possibly pick up and take a look at wow wow that's a difficult one <laughs> Uh, I'm like the worst person to ask this sort of question. Uh, and the reason is that I hate to follow crypto news. Uh, I hate uh -huh. to follow, like, you know, all, like there is so much noise out there and to see what all the projects are saying because it's mm -hmm. so difficult to, you know, like separate the, you know, like the dreams from reality. Um, so I'm not very big on, on following crypto news. Um, and, and specifically, you know, like outside crypto, like, you know, things that I've heard and resonated with me. Um, I, I'll take like a, a weird example and I'll give you. And, and, I, and, I, and I'm trying to use this example to make a point. And, and it's outside crypto. And I think it's important to talk about things happening outside crypto because I want to see. Uh, 
so, so I'll take the, the elections. You know, you mentioned that I'm from Israel. Uh, mm-hmm. And we've had elections, you know, just recently, like uh, a week ago. And like one of the interesting things I saw in this election is two parties uh, that are giving like weird guarantees to their voter base. Uh, and this is like uh, one of them is the pirate party and one of them is like party called honest. And what they said is um, they said that we're sick of uh, people not having like uh, correct representation and that your representatives do whatever they want. And what we give you is the fact that whenever we have to make an important decision, we're going to ask you, you know, like using like a, like like a vote among the, like all the voters, like. We would ask you what you want to do, and we would do what you tell us. Hmm. And I thought that is creative and, and, and interesting. Um, in a sense, it's kind of like doing a DAP, like like a decentralized app party. <laughs> like and, right. and, and and to be honest, these parties were very unsuccessful <laughs> in the in the elections. Like none of them got any votes. Um, but but I, but I thought that was beautiful in a sense because they spoke to a real pain. And as a voter in the elections, I, I identify with a Spain because I voted to a party and I, I don't believe the representatives. You know, like what they would do in the next four years with my vote is probably completely different to what they promised me today. Right. And, and it resonates with so many things that I believe in in blockchain. And, and I understand that doing a complete decentralized party doesn't make sense. And then I try to apply like what I'm trying to do in blockchain. And what I'm saying is don't cut the middleman. You know, you still need a party. So... Like, how would I expect this problem to be better? And, and, and it kind of like popped a weird idea into my head. Uh, and, and it says, okay, imagine that one of the big parties, not like an esoteric pirate party, decentralized, weird thing, but one of the big parties would say, you know what, guys? We want to be held accountable to our decisions. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do is we're going to you know, give you like a way. It could run on top of blockchain or not. doesn't matter that our base would be able to tell on any given vote what they think should happen. And, but we would not vote according to this. Like, don't worry, like, it's not going to be a decentralized party. We'll just, we'll keep doing our job and vote according to what we want. But at the end of the four years, we could look at how the base wanted us to vote on every vote and how close we were to what they wanted. And I think this is a more mature way to look at things because Mm -hmm. What I would say is I would give you a stronger guarantee of accountability um, because it makes sense that the general public doesn't understand like some things like that we would need to vote on. So we can't do what they want all the time. But if I had two parties and both of them had this accountability and I could choose the party that acted more closer to what they promised. And I think this is a beautiful way to look at things. I it's interesting you bring that up. I've 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 been talking about this personally. I've never actually said it on the show, but you know this notion that you, you elect people and then they go to Washington and you have no idea. Yes, there's transparency now about what they vote for, but at the end of the day, they are serving. They are servants of the constituents, and they're supposed to be doing kind of our will. And you know this notion that you're bringing up in terms of this party that said, you know, we'll let you know of a, a particular thing to, that we need to vote on, and we want to hear from you before we do that. That's really I like that. That that actually resonates very well with me. So, like that one a lot. 
And so rounding up, um, you know, Tal, if you could, we always like to give folks just a chance. Where can listeners uh, kind of find more about you know, Orbs, about you, about what you guys are doing there? Feel free to throw, you know, anything up on there, you know, a uh, website, a link, anything like that. And so people can find out more about the project. Uh, so first of all, Orbs.com, uh, that is like the blog there is where I kind of write very frequently about things I care about. Uh, so any uh, listener that is interested in what I have to say, go to the orbs.com blog uh, and read like the latest blog post. Like all of them are important. It's, it's a lot of thought leadership talking about the, the, the things we've discussed here about how the world should look like, uh, not only about how the consensus works. Um, so that's number one. And the number two is that, um, you know, now that we're launched, uh, the, the community is like the main thing. Uh, so we're launching on Thursday. Uh, an open discourse community. Uh, I, lo I love the discourse platform. I think it's a good way to collaborate with your community. And Orbs is a decentralized project. It's community run and led. Uh, so we're launching community.orbs.network uh, on Thursday. And I want anyone who cares about Orbs and want to have a constructive discussion about it to go there and ask. And I'll be there to answer your questions, hear your ideas, uh, and you know, help you, help me, and help each other. Mm -hmm build a better project. Awesome. So this was Tal from Orbs. Uh, check them out on Discord. Check them out on their website. Get in touch. It's a great project that's working on right now. Uh, this was a great conversation. Looking forward to having you back on on Baselayer. Thank you, Tal. Have a good one. Thank you. For more notes on this episode and others, please go to www.ar.ca slash base layer. Next week is Blockchain Week here in New York, the week of May 13th. Myself and the team at ARCA will be here in New York, and if you're an investor or founder, we would love to meet you. Feel free to email me at david at ar.ca. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast, and also throw us a rating or review if you could. We tried every day to make this podcast better for you, the listener. So if there's anything we can do to make it better, please let us know.